This week, I had a fantastic conversation with a young man called Joseph Andrin about death. Not just death in terms of the end of life, but death in terms of the end of ideas or stories or narratives that we may tell ourselves. In this conversation, we talked about letting go and the process of letting go. We talked about actually sitting and being with death and how death can question our identity and actually be a form of its greatest growth. Joseph's a fantastic person to talk to. He's very thoughtful and considerate. And you can really see and feel his, his thought processes that he shares. Also, often after the podcast, a, um, I will often get into a further conversation with guests. And in this, there's an extra 10 minutes that we put on the end because through our conversation, we realized that there was another part to this about the stories of death that we told ourselves probably before the Enlightenment rational period and how those mythical stories now play into our rational scientific view of the world, which is a fantastic little ad. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy Joseph. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure to talk to Joseph Andrin. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here, Bryn. So today we are going to get into what Stephen Walker refers to as our most most faithful companion. Oh, <laughs> that's a good way to get things started and we can maybe leave us suspended for just a moment to <laughs> yeah. see what our most faithful companion is because it's not the dog. It's or not. Is it? Well, we, we think so, but not everybody has a dog. <laughs> but this companion everybody knows follows them everywhere. Uh, yep. <laughs> and that being? That'll be the companion of death. In death, indeed. The companion of death, the ever-lurking shadow of death that's plaguing all of our decisions. That's a great way to start that it plagues all our decisions. Yeah, uh, that, the, 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 the fear that we unconsciously run from all the time and uh, clutch to a fixed reality and a fixed identity instead of allowing the transience that comes with, with death. And the metaphor of death and the, uh, and the ability to let something die, which is usually just a thought, in order to become anew again, hmm. and to let go, of, let go of things and be made anew. And the way that that uh, manifests in our life or doesn't if we hang on to something. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. Why are we talking about death today? Uh, I guess talking about death today to realize how avoiding it uh, and denying it and fearing it, uh, how it manifests in many ways in our lives, keeping us repeating some patterns that may no longer serve us mm-hmm. and that uh, can be quite destructive um, but mask themselves quite convincingly uh, in our life uh, and as an energy that uh, the, the letting go or the, the hanging on is a fruitless energy uh, in some regards that just keeps reproducing the same things over and over again and stifles mm. creativity and stifles growth and stifles expression and stifles everything else that's going on so and our, and our, and our way out in terms of uh, contemplating and spending some time with this uh, notion of 
something dying. Mm. So it's more, it's, so it's more the death of ideas and things within our life as well as the end of our life. Uh, It's definitely more the former, the death of things and ideas within our life. Yes. Uh, The end of our life is possibly the greatest manifestation of that, the ultimate final letting go. Uh, I've had uh, only small amounts of experience with uh, with death, and actually, maybe that's a great way to start. Mm. Uh, one I was going to ask this. Yeah, one of one of the uh, experiences that I've had in my life that I'm most grateful for uh, in terms of meeting death was when a family member, uh, not a family member, family friend, uh, was uh, in a ho- in hospice care on their in their final days. Yeah. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful for this experience and I so love it because this person in my life was a person who uh, came into my life when I was in my mid-twenties and he was already quite an elderly person at that time. And I just lived in a very different world to the world that I was in when I was in my twenties. And, uh, and he was a fantastic uh, mechanic. And he loved to build things and he had this fantastic shed and I was just getting into cars and I had all these crazy cars. I had an old school sports car and then I had a crazy old school Jeep and needed stuff maintained all the time. And he used to love to work on cars and he used to love to share that knowledge. And so we struck up this romantically beautiful relationship essentially yeah. because he was this the grandfatherly figure that I never had. And he was a person who didn't want or need anything from me yeah. and was just really delighted in being able to share his knowledge. Yeah. And I really didn't want or any need anything from him. I just also really delighted in being able to learn from him. Yeah. So our relationship together was just beautiful, right? Because yeah. it, it just we just washed in and each in and out of each other's experience. It didn't go particularly deep. Yeah. But there wasn't that clinging to each other for mm. anything or that needing anything from that each desperation other. of yeah to exchange yeah and there was a real ease in which we could value and appreciate each other mm. like there was a real ease for me to step into the into the relationship position to play this relationship game with him where i could come and learn from him and he could teach me and we could have a laugh together mm. and there was never any hard feelings about anything yeah right? And, uh, and it was about 10 years after I first came to know him that he uh, was, on his, uh, was on his deathbed. And I'd had a, a few other people pass in that meantime and already mm. started to contemplate what it means for, for people's lives to end. And, uh, and I was spending, his name was Clive, I think. I probably should say that, yeah. So I was spending some time with Clive at, uh, at his bed uh, as he was in, in hospice. And... I didn't need him to make it. I didn't need him to survive. I didn't need him to hang on to yeah. anything. And, I, and it was because I had nothing I needed to forgive him for. Yes. And I had nothing that he needed, he had nothing he needed to forgive me for. There's no regret line. No, there's no story. There's no mm. anything. I know in this situation, I was, again, just really lucky because I just had this person come into my life that I got to just have this beautiful relationship with without 
all the stuff that normally can creep into relationships. We never crossed each other's boundaries yes. in any way. We kept we kept together and apart simultaneously in that beautiful way. All right. Yeah. So uh, never encroaching on the other person's life or attempting to hmm. uh, identify with how they are and yeah. be proud of them or embarrassed by them. That was never our, yeah. our thing, right? No projection of self onto another. No, yeah. So so here I, here I was in this very unique situation where someone was like passing and really facing their own mortality and, uh, and having no need to help them fight it, help them survive it and really able to be with them. Yeah. And over the next two and a half hours while I was in that room with them, we went through a never ending roller coaster of just emotions and it was all allowed and it was all beautiful. And there yes. was moments of laughter and joy and just giggling and just being children. Then there was moments of fear coming up where, you know, he was really talking about what was about to happen and the, the fear of ending. And then he also got to express many times one of the things that he was hanging on for was uh, some of the other areas of his life where there was non-forgiveness mm. and he still hadn't been able to like know how to let go of that mm. and those people with which he really wanted to forgive or be forgiven or whatever narrative he was holding in his mind um, he just wasn't able to let go of so he was hanging on to that to hope to somehow fix that in his last moments and for one reason or another it hadn't happened yet Mm. And so he was in this, in this loop in those places, but I got to just journey with him because yeah. again, I was very lucky in this situation. So I got to go really high with him. I got to go really low with him and then back up to really high and then to really low and just watch this thing move in yeah. every different direction very quickly. And also was able to observe his, observe him start to lose his functionality to do things for himself in a way. And there was one, there was a couple of significant things that happened while I was there as well. One was that he, he just wanted some water. And so I poured a glass of water and I put it on the counter uh, next, to his, next to his bed. And he went to go and grab the water and wasn't very good of his motor skills, but could drink, but spilled most of it over himself. And yeah. I just allowed that to happen and watched him spill all his water over himself and put his water back. Mm. Now, as I mentioned, there was a, there was a, some non-forgivenesses going on in his life, which hmm. is, I guess, it's understandable. Uh, and one of, the, one of those people happened to be a person who was uh, sitting outside the room, who had been sitting by his bedside for days and days and days on end. And that person started to intuit that something different was going on while I was in this room and could see that we were going on this roller coaster ride together really mm. with each other in a very connected way. And that person, I think so desired that. But uh, shortly after I had this experience of offering uh, Clive some water or uh, yeah, offering Clive some water, this person came in to give Clive some medication. And I observed as that person uh, put the medication into Clive's mouth and then grabbed a glass of water and forced it into their throat and kind of took away any ability for that person to go in grace, to like, yeah. to become undignified, to kind yes. of, you know, just to let go while this other person, to be, to be, especially in that state, in this really precious state to just be. 
And it's because those two people have like this long history together, right? Yeah. And there's there's this desire to uh, to seek that forgiveness and that letting go, but neither knows how to go first. Mm. And death is possibly the biggest thing that can wake you up mm. to having that ex having that ability to let go. Uh, it's probably something that in this culture and society we can learn more from from people who are in that state mm. uh, but I know from my own direct experience I don't actually get many opportunities to spend time with people like that uh, one because I have not a lot of family here in in Western Australia and two because as a culture we're hiding I perceive we're hiding away a lot of that mm. putting anything to do with death and letting go behind many locked doors from the way that we in, in every area of life, whether it's the treating of healthcare to how we eat meat, like it's all very hidden from the world. We don't want to see that yeah. final, final letting go. So I really think there's, there's something, there's a, there's a lot to be learned about letting go uh, in the process of dying in that final death stage. And the lesson is really about like letting go of the the identities and the non-forgivenesses and the things that we have in our mm. life the whole time. Um, and death can be a wake up to just letting go. It's one of the ultimate wake ups, isn't it? You know, there's, it, sometimes it takes a near death experience or, or the death of others for us to truly wake up. Yeah, absolutely. And often it takes a direct experience because we sit in and swim in a culture that as you rightfully said doesn't acknowledge death in fact is almost neurotic on the other end of the scale we have this sort of object fetish control freakery around um youthfulness and you know peter pan syndrome and you know, not gracefully being older. Mm. And, and you know, we, some, some cover their gray hairs up, you know, have cosmetic surgery and, and so on. And so the society that we swim in is almost at the other end of um, even acknowledging death as a thing. Mm. And, you know, we, one of the beautiful things about last year, 2020, and the arrival of, of mm. COVID mm. is that, like it or not, it's forced everybody to think about their health, their mortality, and the fact that it's, it, it could be over. And I think you, you, I share the same opinion as yourself right at the very, what you said right at the very start of this, which was that um, we because so many people are pushing it away, they do not realize how it controls at a subconscious level every decision that you make. Mm. Um, it's a topic that's come up on the podcast before. You know, it's, it's, you know, we could have the discussion about does life go on after death or is death the end of it or stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is we'll never know until we've died. Mm. And if you want to believe one or the other, that's fine. Like, <laughs> we're not going to find out until 
we either meet on the other side or we don't. Mm. <laughs> um, but make a decision. The decision that we don't make about death is the one that sits in the basement festering mm. and then stinks up the place and stinks up your decisions. And that may well influence a lot of what you've just also been talking about, which is the holding on mm. so tightly. I had a very similar experience, very similar but not same experience recently, where very recently, where, because I swim down at the Port Beach Polar Bears, where at the age of 46, I'm still considered one of the young ones. Yep. And I had my 46th birthday recently, and, and you know, everyone sings happy birthday to you, which is lovely. And then one of the old fellas comes over and says, you're not even half my age yet. Mm. <laughs> you're like, this is brilliant. Mm. But there's, um, there's a gentleman who I've had a very funny relationship with over the years that I've been going down. Very amusing, uh, very inappropriate um, sense of humor and jokes that we share. And, and his, his health has significantly deteriorated, significantly deteriorated. And his partner, he brings him down and, and they have this lovely little Nissan Leaf, which they park, they're allowed to park on the disabled bit right in front of the clubhouse. And, mm -hmm. and he's blind and he can't, well, he's deficient in his eyes and he can't really see much. So basically he sits in the front seat and with the window down and we're all there having a cup of tea and toast and people go and chat to him. And it was, it was so interesting. I found myself recently, he started talking about, well, you know, I've lived a good life. I could die at any minute. And, 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 and instead of that whole rush to go, no, no, you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be back in the water again soon or this, that, and the other. Mm. You know, everybody knows he's not, mm -hmm. right? And so I sort of stayed with him and where he was and said, yeah, you are, aren't you? Mm. And, and I actually made a joke because up on the wall, we've got portrait pictures of the polar bears that have passed away. And I, and I joke in the middle of this conversation, jokingly went, yeah, I've seen the spot where we're going to pop your picture. <laughs> he just laughed. Yeah. And, and there was just this beauty about we're making a joke about, yeah, yeah your picture's going to go up on the wall. Some real good dark humor there. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it wasn't, a, I felt no need to protect him yeah. from what was about to happen. I felt, I didn't feel like, I was like, oh my God, if he then... Yeah, gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, yeah. we know this, we know this, we've both had the same experience. S though. Similar like... experience recently. And you know, one of the things that I do, um, in addition to this, is I do legacy interviews with people, so private interviews with people that go for like four to five hours. And the first two I ever did, as a, as, a, as, a, as a trial was with two ladies who were the same age as me with stage four breast cancer. Mm. Neither of them lasted more than three to four months. And one of the thing, the key things that they said to me uh, about why it was such an amazing experience was because I just went with them. I let them tell their story. I, I, I went with them. And I guess one of the things I find is that because because people don't spend time reconciling their views beliefs relationships with death and then make a decision about it and then own that decision 
when faced with the inevitable companion, it triggers all this anxiety in them. Mm. And so when somebody is actually in that position where all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this is, this, this is the runway out now, then it triggers the unresolved relationship within them, which then they become anxious and, 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 and they play out and project and stuff like that, which means that it causes a large amount of angst for the person who's actually going because they can't just be, you know, like Clive who, who um, you know, has these unresolved things with people, including somebody outside the room, you know, the ability to just put that to one side and go, it's okay, let's just be. And that's, that's probably all somebody wants. That's all we want at the best of times mm. when we're in the middle of life, let alone when we're at the end of it. We just sometimes just want to be with someone without somebody needing to correct the narrative or or put a happy shine on something yeah. or or just because you know seeing a loved one that you know is a strong pillar in your life be depressed or anxious and, and less than the strong person that they should be can be triggering so then you know it's all of a sudden oh i need that person to be strong i don't need you to be dying i don't need and so i think whilst yes it, it pervades unresolved an unresolved relationship with death yes pervades our everyday relationship but some of our everyday decisions um it also means that we can't serve the people that we love the most when they're faced with that mm. does that make sense yeah absolutely i uh i kept having this thought bounce in my head as uh, as i was listening uh that uh while this is all like a metaphor in some ways for when a person finally uh when a physical person is dying uh what it is is a letting go of an identity and Correct. our identity in any moment in time can die and be born anew and uh and so right now uh there's a part of my mind that's already constructed very much who i think i am yeah and as a part of has constructed who i think you are and uh and if i can die to that hmm. then who i think i am can just disappear in this moment and i could discover something entirely surprising about who i think i am now and i can also discover something entirely surprising from you in this Correct. moment and there's this constant opportunity to just like let go of <laughs> let go of the things that we hang on to. And, uh, mm. and so clinging to that thought, it's, an, it's sure we can't see the thought and we can't be like, that's the thing I'm hanging on to. But that's essentially what we're doing, clinging on to identity of ourselves and that's mm. manifest in this, in this body. So this is the final thing that I'm like clinging on to, which when a person is actually dying, they have to, they have a very rare and unique opportunity to finally let go of the clinging to this thing, which, uh, which is hugely profound to consider for a, a little while. And what that actually means mm. is something that you can only know for yourself by contemplating it. And I'd mm. like, and I'd, and I'd say that we don't have to personally be physically dying in order to contemplate that. 
Yes. Uh, and we have the opportunity to contemplate that at any given moment in time to be able to just let go of uh, our identity, to just allow a new identity to be born. And you, mm. uh, so in this in this thing, I've 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 come here in some ways to to die, yeah. be born anew, right? To see what what else is there, like what else is there new that can uh, that can emerge from this. Mm. So, and I think it. I think that clinging on, as, as you know, you're talking about letting go, but there's also that holding on so tight of someone else, of an identity, of an, an an idea, um, a house, a relationship, um, a job. Um, it it's so interesting because we cling on, yet things come and then they go, and then they come and then they go. Um, you know, you could cling on to the, you know, the romantic childhood part of your children's journey as a parent, but they're going to grow and they're going to become adolescents and they're going to become little shits. And then, you know, they're going to then become a young person and they're going to have boyfriends and girlfriends and it's going to be up and down and, you know, and they're going to be different from the little child that was very dependent on you and just thought roses were brilliant and just wanted to skip all day. Yeah. You know, and, and we can have jobs where, you know, I am an engineer and then after 20 years you realise that you're no longer an engineer because the world's moved on or whatever. And, and, and I think you, you're very right with the identity part. Who am I? And I think one of the things, so one of the things that I have played with uh, let me put it this way. One of the things that experience has presented and I have reflected on is where we place our anchor points or reference points for who we think we are, you know, externally or internally. And the more we have external anchor points, the more they can move and then we end up with some sort of existential crisis. Yet at the same time, if we completely remain internally focused, we don't have that such existential crisis, but then we don't make connections and we don't have all that love and beauty in our life of having really good friends and, and those beautiful moments with loved ones and things like that. So there's this really lovely tension of having the anchor points inside and outside. But then I think it's this wanting things to remain the same because then they become safe and then that can become comfortable and hmm, mm. but then becomes a challenge. Mm. In the external and internal anchor points, mm. one of the thoughts that bubbled up there for me was like, uh, one way that sometimes we um, identify with things outside of ourselves externally mm. and then that is just a, an even greater ex desire to be able to control uh, more and, uh, mm. and that's when we get into our mess with things because if I start to want external validation from you, uh, for example, uh, and then you don't do something that I want you to do, mm. then I'll take it 
very personally. So I've just made the thought of how the world should be now expand outside of me to like include yes. you, which is obviously never going to work. Um, yeah. And it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And, and, and you, you know, okay, we started off by talking about death, but you're also now talking about uh, a really key part of development mm. that um, I think has been so overlooked which is this whole object subject where do i start where do i end where do you end where do you start and what's your what's our journey through time because by understanding that you know i end you start when i know i know it's the very new age thing to say yeah we're all energy yeah, yeah. and okay if you want to expand your perspective to the all inclusive inclusive whole on or universal set, yeah, I get that. But that's not gonna help you in everyday life, right? Mm. That's, a, that's a lovely place to be if you wanna dissociate and bypass from the reality of the 3D world that we're now in and here to enjoy. Yep, I've got, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I've had a thought come through. Uh, as a, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely right. Um, if it's a belief, if we believe that we are all one and we're all energy and we cling to that, that's actually just a thought again. Mm. And it's a really nice story that we can tell ourselves. It's lovely. Like, oh, I'm one with you, we're all one, everybody's one, yada, yada, yada. Atoms and yeah, yeah. Whichever version of the story we want to tell, uh, it's actually just nothing more but another thought that we then become identified with. Hmm. Uh, it's where a nice, magical and mythical story. It is, but the, the thought itself I think can almost always point at the way out is not by identifying with the thought, but it's really to actually like contemplate and go deep into the thought. And this mm. one's popped up in my mind a lot recently in the great scientists. Um, let's say Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein. Uh, Albert Einstein spent most of his time imagining what it would be like to be a photon that was moving at the speed of light. Yes which is, it sounds like an insane thing to do. No. But that's what he did. He spent yeah. his time thinking about what it's like to be a photon traveling at the speed of light, and then he had all this revelation. Yeah. And then he seek to express this revelation. Now he had that not because he just believed in it. Mm. He actually went there with his mind. Yeah. And like had that experience and then brought it back. And now he's explained it to us and he's actually pointed to you and me that we too could also spend our time imagining what it'd be like to be a photon mm. and actually have that direct experience to then be able to actually understand Einstein's, what Einstein's written down. Yeah. Uh, we can't believe in Einstein, it's pointless. Like it's pointless to just be like, oh, I believe what Einstein says because the theory is there, we actually need to go and like put our mind- Do, do the exercise. We need to do the exercise, which is all in the imagination. And Stephen Hawking is the same, he did something similar. He spent all of his time imagining what it'd be like to be a black hole. Like, th these ideas are crazy. So, and, and in death is the same. To spend all your time imagining what it'd be like to be dead uh, also seems nuts. And to, to say, oh, I believe there'll be an afterlife, or I believe we're all energy, or I believe we're all one, or I believe we'll be reincarnated, none of that means anything if it's just a thought that you're just identified with, because that's actually just hiding what it is that you don't want to address in the first place. But mm. if you go and actually just spend a lot of time imagining it, they're, they're, they all seem equally as impossible to imagine yourself as a black hole, 
to imagine yourself as a photon mm. or to imagine yourself dead. They all yeah. seem <laughs> equally as impossible things to do, but mm. all three of them are actually a, like a, a, an insight to mm. a letting go of the identity you have to something else. Correct. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that was fun. I like that too. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I wonder whether, rather than imagine yourself dead, imagine yourself dying. Yep. And that lead in. Yeah. I think that, you know, we, we, we spoke briefly about beforehand about being in the ocean and the fear of the fear of the ocean and what's in it and you know the fear of seeing a shark mm. let alone being, you know being bitten by one this is like remarkable for a lot of people mm. um, or the prospect of seeing a shark let alone the fact. so maybe part of this is is spending some time imagining what your demise would be like mm feel like mm. what would it actually feel like to go into this state of ultimate letting go yeah i think but in that that raises a something that so i had a lady on the podcast before about 18 months ago called nicola adams who's an icu nurse so she mm. deals a lot with that yeah. one of the things we realized was there's just no language about it Mm. you know to for her for her it was, she was asking a question what is a good death you know and like so now you're using the word good with death it's, mm -hmm. it's is that appropriate does it work does it not there just doesn't seem to be the language we have to invent a language i mean like einstein and hawking's like invented different ways to express their ideas using math and symbols uh, and today in the world, we're inventing languages continually to talk oh, about yeah. all kinds of ideas and technology and art is an, art is an expression, uh, music <clears throat> is an expression. Uh, we're just, we're just trying to articulate the thing that seems unarticulatable mm. so that you can finally communicate the revelation that you've had about something with someone else and the, the language and thoughts that existed in the past won't work to describe a new revelation you're going mm. to have to look for new words and we've been doing this kind of forever oh, yeah. yeah just watching language evolve mm. and it's it's not just words anymore it's much more than that mm. um yeah but yeah. i think i think to recognize that there's a gap even before we invent it, yeah, it's recognizing. It's great that that's a that's a. I think that'd be a great place to be. Yeah, because then you're like, there's this thing I need to express. Yeah, and I and it's don't know how, how, but I will work it out. Exactly. Yeah, I will work it out, and I will work it out to a point that this expression can come from God knows where. Yeah, <laughs> this expression can come from God knows where, and I spend so much time pondering it that I get to a place where I can finally express that thing so that it's possible for someone who wants to listen to actually be able to hear that and connect with it right back at the same source, mm. right? Um, I had the great privilege of meeting a, a 
few geniuses in the last few years and uh, and it's really amazing to meet someone who's just like in their genius mode, especially yeah. if you happen to bump into them at that time and they're firing at whatever, 10 bazillion neurons all perfectly aligned at that time. And they're an expert of something that I know nothing about. And they're just, yeah. they're just like way over there, like yeah. way over there. And, uh, and I guess we meet geniuses all the time and I've just been lucky a couple of times that I was present enough to recognize the genius in the other and be like, wow, this person's a genius. And, uh, and to ask them about their work and the beautiful thing that they did was they first assumed that I was a genius on their level as well. So they were like up here and I asked them this question and they answered it here. And I was like, I still don't know what you're talking about. And they go, oh, okay, here. And I'm like, oh, I, st I still don't know. And it doesn't matter. Like, you just keep asking. He'll just keep coming down a peg until a connection Click. point is built. Yeah. Right. And he's just trying to wire up for yeah. me this path from here to here. And then, and then just like, I oh, got it. Right. On this one tiny thread. His thing unfortunately yeah. has a million threads on the top. But uh, if you earnestly want to learn from someone who knows something profound, and you happen to recognize their profoundness. Uh, I think we kind of need to put ourselves in check, be quite curious because it's quite likely that if they're in another echelon, it's taken them a while to get there, but they'll get you there. Yeah. You just have to be willing to like genuinely listen to the answer mm. and then admit again, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Here's the next question. Can you connect that dot for me, yeah, please? I don't know again. I don't know again. I don't know. And it might have to go quite deep and that's fine, but it'll work. Like it'll work and mm. eventually like connect from wherever you are to wherever they are. And you'll like have one point of connection through and you're like, whoa, okay, I, I got that. That was quite, that's quite profound. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. So where are we at in our conversation? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I thought rather than just look down and come up with a question, I was like, I thought I'd ask you. Uh, I guess to uh, part of what inspired the... Um, the, this, this meeting uh, is uh, some wonderfully creative, uh, big-minded friends of mine and I have got together to put on a show about death. And, uh, and it's just given us a lot of opportunity to uh, frankly share our experiences about it and contemplate it and philosophize about it. and. Mm. Uh, and come to understand it in different ways. And it's a very tough subject. And wanting to put on a show for the public uh, that doesn't, that isn't preachy mm. or try and say that you know what's up uh, becomes a very quick challenge. Like Because you've got the same challenges as genius, haven't you? Yeah. That you've got to... Connect down, but connect and then bring people on a journey. And it's we have to go connect with our genius first, too. Yes, <laughs> but there's a but there's a there's another there's another um, there's another connector part. You know, you could argue that genius is you know like that mental capability to to understand. Um, what we're talking about here is um, you, you're connecting through people's nervous system as well because you could just say oh we're going to talk about death and that would be you know we talked about triggering earlier on mm -hmm. so it's like oh, fuck you here's the boundaries 
He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to buy a ticket. I'm not even going to step through the door. Mm. Or might come in and just be like, mm. you know, and those, it's those layers. Mm. So I guess one of the challenges you have with it is, is not only coming through the intellect part, but coming through yeah. the nervous system. I think the, the intellect part might often be what's getting in the way because the intellect part is the identification again. Uh, it's, the, it's the not wanting to die. Mm. And something that I've realized in, in myself and, uh, and that I continually see in the world because it's in myself yeah. <laughs> uh, is this, this thought. I'll, I'll tie it back in with, uh, yeah. with, uh, with death and the death show in just a moment. Uh, but it's this thought about actually what like our unconscious drivers are and again so one of them is to be identified with something and for that thing to be right so there's this like mm. really strong desire to be to be right yes uh, that equally reflects in a very strong desire to not want to be wrong um, because it's quite likely that you might die if you're wrong about something that's part of how the old ego was programmed it's just like i need to be right mm. for my own survival and my own security i have to have to be right all the time and so the, the the metaphor that's come to me for this one was something that i got to observe my younger brothers do years ago uh which i just so loved watching them and i love extreme sports like i'm a kite surfer surfer snowboarder um you know i, I swim in the ocean all the time as well and uh, I'm happy to be in the environment that's slightly out of my control. There might be sharks there and whatever. But my, my brother, the brothers at the time were skating and they were doing uh, 10 stair jumps on their skateboards. Now, uh, in the world today, we just see the YouTube snippets of the person who can do it, making it look graceful and beautiful and fun. Oh, yes. Like watching a, like a teenager learning to do a 10 stair jump is it's mind-boggling because you watch as I would watch as my brother would get on his skateboard and skate as quickly as he could and then jump with all of his energy to then realize mid-air that he wasn't going to make it and then to land on the ground and hit the ground hard and commander roll out of it and then maybe curse maybe not curse but then pick up his skateboard walk back up the stairs yeah. and do it again and this could take like 50 attempts over multiple days before he finally gets it. And then he's only going to share that one little video where he gets it yeah. with the world to the disappointment of every other skater on the planet. Um, but you just, you just see that snippet where he got it. But all this yeah. thing goes on in the background. But the, the thing underneath that is the intention. Because even the intention was to not get hurt or to not be wrong, but to not get hurt. Yeah. Then don't pick up the fucking skateboard yeah. like just just, yeah. just don't do it and and you'll be you'll be sweet um but if the intention is to land the scare, stair gap then you kind of have to like learn to trust intuition and refine. put yourself in places and refine and do it in a in a in a way that you don't destroy yourself but that can't be the driving intention like that can't be the thing that you're setting out to do is to not get hurt because the easiest way to do that is to not touch a skateboard. And so we've constantly hit this same dilemma with, with being performers and creating art and mm. putting on a show. Because if you want to not have a critic, then don't go on the fucking stage. Like, yeah. It's just don't do it because yeah. it, 
you're putting yourself on the stage, it doesn't matter how right you are or good you are, someone's going to come for you, like on yeah. any subject matter. And if they don't, you're, I don't know, you're just reading the dictionary. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're doing something that you can't be attacked for, in which case there's kind of no point yeah. doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, so we're in this like paradox of just like, so wanting to be like right and not hurt others and not get attacked ourselves and hang on to our thing because we've done the work and we're like supposed to be really good at this thing. Ah, that's who I am. And then, but then you, you, you can't because then you constantly compromise yourself because now you're like yeah. projecting all these things onto the world to be like, I know how the world is and how the people are. And yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> I, I think I lost a little bit of myself there, but I think I came back to it. No, it's, it, yeah. it's almost part, it, it's almost a template part of the human journey. To? To continually go through this cycle. Yeah. Getting lost into something, enjoying it, and then it coming to its end. And it's, but then how do I let go and how do I detach? And am I detaching early? Should I hold on a bit longer? Have I held on too long? Fuck, it's being taken off me now through somebody else or through life just moving on or, or, or something of that nature. It's, um, yeah. Hmm. I've, I've encountered. So, so the podcast, um, if I look back, it, there's been almost, although I didn't call it, there's almost been seasons or focal points. And it's fair to say that the pretty much the first 120 episodes, by and large, were listening to people's stories. And it was pretty much the hero's journey. And more often than not, I, you know, I talk to um, people who, who, who want to be you know, like coaches for detoxifying your life or, or gut biome or, or something like that. And often they'd had a brush themselves with, I used to be like this, and then I was hitting my head against the wall and the bruising hurt so much that I had to stop hitting my head against the wall. And then and I sat still for a minute and let go of the, the wall and, and, and healed the bruise. Then the epiphany dropped and then something new arrived. And, and it was the, the real part of the WA Real. The real part was that golden moment when you realize the story, the narrative, that I have been working on, mm. working, which has been the, you know, the operating system or, or, or that. It's time to let it go because it's not serving me. Mm. And more often than not, as I've, as I've subsequently found, a lot of those stories are the response to some sort of early childhood trauma. And I'm not necessarily saying that trauma has to be, you know, really stark and abuse and stuff like that. The trauma can be, your older brother or younger brother calling you a dick when you were felt at a low edge and it, and it really stung, mm. right? And, and, and that brother may never remember calling you a dick at that point, but it sticks with you forever and then you create this defensive part of yourself and then off you go and you run with that story and then we, we cling on to those stories at such a deep level and it's that finally getting to that epiphany part, which is why, you know, that. The midlife crisis it is essentially that. 
you get to the end of your thirties and forty into your start of your forties, and there's just there's no room anymore for the old story. It it, it just doesn't produce what it used to produce. Mm. You know, it, it worked for a period of time, and now it just doesn't work. It's it, it's it's like you know trying to stick a bloody tape player into a CD player or something like that. It's like we've mm. moved on from that. And, and it's that letting, letting go of stories, letting go, and in that story is, as you rightfully say, I think, the, our identity, who, who we are. And I think the fun thing for me is once you get, not just your head around that, but your embodiment around that, then you realize we do it collectively as well. Mm. You know, let's just take Australia, for instance. Mm. Are we clinging on to a story that's no longer serving us mm. of who and what we are? Collective collective stories have been like one that's popping up in my uh, yeah. attention a collective lot. Collective deaths. Yeah, or resistance too. Um, yeah. Is that what we're going through right now? Well, I mean, we're, we are in the, the COVID pandemic or yep. in, the, in the tail end of the COVID pandemic at the moment. Yeah. Uh, or perhaps the middle or maybe the beginning. Who knows? Economies <laughs> that are dying. Uh, and one that's uh, popped up for me uh, just in the last week or so that's also been really fun was, uh, sorry, really fun to observe the situation can be as it is. Uh, the situation was of the, the Capitol Hill uh, riots, um, if the riot is the word that you choose to use to describe it as. Yeah. And, uh, and I haven't subscribed to a lot of mainstream media for a while, and I've uh, attempted to get rid of some social medias as well. And, uh, and so I didn't hear about it as it happened live. Yeah. And then I heard about it later because it's kind of hard to not yeah. hear about it at all. You'd have to have your head under a rock, mm. which is possible. Gets not, provoked by someone else telling uh, you. It's not advisable to just not want to hear anything. Um, eventually came to me and I was like, all right, I want to go and learn about this. Mm. And then as I went to want to learn about this, I got confronted by the uh, uh, problem of working out whose story I wanted to side with. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped on the internet and I watched the Fox News story and then I watched the CNN story and I heard the story of like the um, people who are, who are wanting to demonstrate that there's this uh, oppression of freedom of speech. And then I got the CNN story about these like horrible, crazy rioters. And then I jumped on Nine News Australia and watched the Nine News story and I had this fun little observation of the nine news story which is like tragic in the world tonight as rioters break into capitol hill in america and then you see this story start to unfold and in the nine news version of the story there's lots of scenes of the the rioters breaking into the places and mad looks in their eyes and chaos just lots of chaos on the screen Mm. and uh and my perception in that moment, and so now we cross to leaders of the world as they talk about the situation. We go to see Angela Merkel or we go to see Boris and they're just like, it's horrible what's happening in the world today and it's, it's disgraceful, the actions of these other people. And I got this idea that our main media is reminding us of the Australian story, which is we're the lucky country, which is all these problems are existing somewhere else. We're just this island over here, just like minding our own business. Business, yeah. And I so I actually so enjoyed our media the most 
but I guess that's because the one I've been brought up on, right? Mm. Like it's our version of drama that I'm like, oh, it's so nice to know that all of this chaos is over there and I'm safe over here in Perth that has, you know, zero COVID cases and no political unrest and mm. whatever. It's, it's all happening somewhere else. But the whole point is it's just another identity. It's another story. It's another thing that we like mm. cling to and keep repeating. Mm. And it's the Australian identity and the Australian story that's in a cycle as well. And it's part of a larger world narrative. And we're all currently stuck in heaps of world narratives that have crossed over, making my problems your problems and your problems my problems. And the problem of the ocean is all now of our problems. Now about the boundaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and the way that we deal with it. And it's, it's crazy how many like different lenses you can put on to view the exact same story. And then you can be like, I don't know what the story is anymore. Correct. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know in a world, I've talked about this a lot, in a world where we're culturalized and educated to know things. Don't look stupid, look smart, be right, don't be wrong. Mm. And even earlier on when you were talking about being right can often be linked to, you know, life, death, outcomes, but even still, I read an interesting article that the word risk, its use skyrocketed in the sort of, I think it was late eighties, early nineties, all of a sudden it skyrocketed. And now we become very risk observant, risk averse. And yet previous to that, risk was a word you know, there's, there's places you can go to find the use, the general use of a word in articles and stuff. Mm -hmm. The general use of the word risk was pretty low, and now it's... Yeah, vocabulary. Yeah, remarkable. So what does that say in and of itself? That now it's another layer that gets in the way of that letting go. Mm. I know we're trying to, you know, it's, it's them, not us, always the risk. It's risky over there, but mm. it's safe. Hmm. It's kind of like, uh, what's the, what's the underlying, uh, narrative that we've got programmed in ourselves. And sometimes it can be very hard to see from inside of your own skin, what mm. your narrative and story is. Um, but it's the attachment to that idea that's producing everything that's going on in our life experience. Yeah. And, uh, and if it's to, uh, you know, not get hurt as a skateboarder, then eventually you'll quit skateboarding and you'll get really hurt. <laughs> yep. If it's attention to not get hammered on stage as a performer, you'll eventually either, either quit that or completely compromise your show or you're just going to attract that, uh, hurl, that whirl, whirlwind of abuse anyway. Yeah. But, but that, that thing is like, guiding us and it's like just really that strong attachment to that that keeps coming up like over and over again and uh um that's the one that we need to bring into the light at the moment and i think the world is giving us all the opportunities that we need to do that hmm. so long as we don't just put our masks on and run from ourselves <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it's all happening over there mm. Not over here. Yeah. 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 Hmm.
Is there anything else you think we need to be? Uh, no, I feel like that was, I feel like that was fun. Uh, yeah, I feel like that was a fun conversation. Mm. Yeah. So the last question I ask all my guests yeah. is if you could upload one question into the collective consciousness, so everybody spends five to 10 minutes quietly considering it, uh-huh. what would that be? Uh, let's see if I can articulate this one. What are you proving or winning at? Hmm. Uh, that'll point out what it is that's currently guiding all of your decisions. What yeah. are you proving or winning at? That's the, that's the thing that you're most identified with. Uh, it's usually going to be something about wanting to be right about something or make someone else wrong about something. Yeah. Um, Because the two are different. The the two are different, kind of related, kind of different, but they are are different. Um, And it can often be uh, a parent uh, or it can be someone else that you are, for one reason, admired and now wanting the attention of. um, And by attempting to continually prove that person wrong, uh, you can guide your life in a certain way that will continually produce not what you wanted. Mm. Yes. <laughs> but you're winning and doing it. Like you're actually making your point very clear to yourself over and over and over and over again. Uh, and, uh, and that's your goal. And goals are actually easier to change than our value systems and, yeah. and, and the other parts of our identity, our shadows and everything else to just mm. kind of change that is uh is possibly key so yeah so what are you what are you currently winning at or what are you succeeding at hmm i love that yeah really enjoyed talking today yeah so did i it's been good yeah it's um it's been nice to see where it it went yeah 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 cool uh yeah i really enjoyed uh chatting with you as well Bryn. Mm. i uh very much appreciate the energy and the presence that you've held here for me in this conversation Uh, it's really great it's really great to be in it and to just be able to converse with you Mm. so if people would like if someone's listening to this and they would like to come and see the show or find Joseph where how do they do that Uh, uh, the show our uh, yep our uh, production company are called the hairy godmothers Uh, we are the hairy godmothers dot com Uh, we've got a bunch of shows coming up for Fringe in Perth and Adelaide and Bunbury and uh, likely to do the, uh, the Belmont Festival as well. Um, and that's probably the best place to do that. Um, otherwise, a large part of the intention for this conversation was just to talk about death. And yeah. Yeah, remember that we're all going to die. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. But it's, I think what, if, if there was one big thing that came out of it was don't just park death off to be in that event that ends at happens at the end of your life mm. it's happening all the time yeah yeah die to the identity and the thoughts and thoughts the, identity things that you hold on to mm. yeah thank you very much yeah thank you thank you so often what people don't realize is that after the podcast i have just as a fascinating conversations with the guest in fact i wish i could record some of them but 
something was about to emerge in the discussion post this podcast, which Joseph wanted to share. So we're going to dive into that well, back I, on death. Uh, it, it's one it's one that I thought was quite fun and it's a thought that I've had before and I was like oh man I don't know why we didn't talk about this one earlier because this it's got some funny ideas in it and uh, and it's about the church of science and I'm not talking Scientology I'm just talking yeah. what's happened in the world of science today it's interesting that you should call it the church of science yeah it is known as the was it no, I've heard it called the religion of reason and rationality a- ab- absolutely the high priestess the PhDs and we have surrendered to science in the exact same way that a peasant farmer surrendered to the, the Vatican once yeah, upon yeah, a time. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing. And uh, beautifully with science, we gave birth to a new way of thinking. And it came around European Enlightenment or Scientific Enlightenment or Revolution, yep. whatever we want to call it. 1700s. Yeah, we, 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 we did this phenomenal thing yeah. at that time with a right. whole From new way. Magical, mythical creatures into rational creatures yeah but we also became creatures who like could develop systems to undermine our own thinking and we Mm -hmm. also became creatures who could start to imagine an ever-growing pie and an ever-expanding body of knowledge and other things like lots of new concepts were birthed all simultaneously around that time uh credit was a big one uh not sure if you've read any yuval noah harari sapiens here he also talks about the invention of credit arising at that same time as this this scientific way of thinking. To oversimplify the story, because uh, if uh, and and for anyone who's listening and for yeah. for you as well, we have to have a little bit of grace in the way that I articulate this. Because if we just look at it on the surface and point at me, then you can shoot me down, no problems. Yeah, <laughs> but that defeats the purpose. So. Uh, Prior to the uh, Enlightenment, the scientific revolution, uh, the church was in power and, uh, and as the, one of the powers and was telling a narrative about an end of days, a mm-hmm. second coming of Christ, uh, an apocalypse, an Armageddon, a something. And people were a large subset of people who believed the story were continually looking for evidence that the end of days was coming, mm. right? And they were looking for it everywhere that they could find it through any way. And they were interpreting whatever book, whether it was the Bible or whether there was the Quran in the Middle East or the Torah or any other religion, many people were looking for this end times mm. and projected out into the world, continually looking for evidence that they were right, that the world was about to end and interpreting the text in any way that they could onto that. Now, then science came along and we're like, all right, we're done with, we're done with religion. We get to like put that all down now. We don't have to worry about that small minded way of thinking and yeah. it's, it's all silly talk. And it seemed like we had a giant breakthrough and we did, hmm. but at the same time, we haven't stopped telling some of the stories, stories that we used to tell. And in the world today, we continue to tell the story that the end is near, like we're all going to die. And, uh, and that the Armageddon, the apocalypse is coming. Mm. And so now we're taking the very powerful tools of science and using that weapon to look for the evidence that we're right, that the world is going to die. And, and that the stories that we're producing are infinite and fascinating. 
and they continually get more exciting and larger year by year. And everyone's had their story that they're quite attached to, whether it's like, we're all gonna die of cancer or it's gonna be nuclear winter or COVID that's just like mm. freaking fascinating. Like actually like how big these stories are because we're still just like looking for evidence that the world is gonna die. Yes. And, uh, and with that perspective, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much we search we will only continue to find more evidence that we're right. And there's a lot of people prior to COVID who are very concerned about climate change. And that's kind of almost dropped off our radar, amazingly, because now we're all worried about COVID. Ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but, but before that, we were very worried about climate change. And if you are convinced that climate change was bad for the earth, no amount of logic will sway yes. you from that pers- that situation Hmm. and we're just kind of done there and the only way out of that is to be willing for just a moment to like let go of your identification of that idea or to take off those lenses for just a moment and whether we can actually see the real truth i don't know i'm gonna speculate no Hmm. Um, but we might be able to put on a different set of lenses and maybe put ourselves into a <laughs> voluntarily another layer of delusion yep but perhaps one that might be uh, uh more invigorating exciting inspiring for our own personal life experience yes uh, the narrative that the world is going to end uh, and climate change is bad or COVID is bad or that nuclear winter is coming uh, and looking for evidence for that will lead you to live your life a certain way. And so when yes. you insist on being right about that, and you're identified with that thought, uh, there'll be quite a lot of fear in one's life where if, if we're just looking for signs of life and looking for, looking for uh, excitement, enthusiasm, inspiration, joy, growth, beauty. joy. Yeah, if we're, look, we're looking for something else, then, then we can, but you can never actually get that from the logical point. It doesn't mm. matter how much data we go through, you won't get there. Um, mm. That's, that's it. So that, that was the thought that so I how does that relate back into death? Well, that we're, we're actually looking for signs that we're going to die. Mm. Like we're, we're, we're looking for signs that the end of times is coming. And we're quite strongly insisting that we're right about that. We're looking for evidence that there's climate change. And then we're insisting that we're right that there's climate change. I'm not denying climate change. Yeah. But I'm saying that if we go looking for it, and mm. obsess over it, we will find more evidence for it. And if we go looking for evidence that cancer is gonna kill every person, then we'll find plenty of evidence that cancer is gonna kill every mm. person. If we look for evidence that our political systems are corrupt and we're all gonna nuke each other, yeah. we'll find that. Like, and we'll go and find out that sharks in the water, go look. We'll, go, find we'll go and find sharks, sharks in the water. And so if we're, if we're continuing to tell the exact same story we told before the scientific revolution that the end of times is coming and that mm. God's going to come and judge us all and send us to hell or heaven or whatever story version it was, but essentially that the world's going to end. The end of the world is near. Uh, and we're still in that paradigm, still looking for the world and now using the tools of science to do that. We can very rightly find all the evidence in the world to justify correct. that we're correct and put ourselves in a deep pit. <laughs> Yes. of logic and just bury ourselves and yes. shroud ourselves in endless logic and no one will be able to refute you ever no. but it's almost certainly how's that going to serve us it's, I can't yeah. see how that can possibly 
serve anyone in their righteousness in a situation, uh, a data scientist who's got all the science in the world to say that climate change is going to mm. end our times, that, that's them just burying themselves in data mm. to justify that they're correct about something which for that individual is only going to produce anxiety and stress and never-ending mm. fear. And Because uh, at the end of the day, well, not the end of the day, as I'm coming to realise, yeah. being able to out-worry, out-concern, out-anxiety other people's is, is not a virtue. Mm. Fast, I find at the moment, the ability for somebody to have a darker, more graver view on the situation gives them this level of gravitas and authoritas. And it's not. Mm. Being, yeah, the, the being out- scared is not a virtue. Out-scaring your friends, being out-scared, sorry, being more scared than your friend is not a virtue. And our, and our current responses to those fears as well are... I think very manifest as well in the in the wave of veganism and keep cups and wanting to drive green vehicles Mm. again each each initiative in itself is seems like a good initiative but it's not ah it's just a another layer that's not fighting the root cause that we think we're all going to die and that the world is going to end and so we're just adding all of this stuff i'm doing my bet I'm doing, I'm doing my bit and like our bits are like, we really don't want to look at how insignificant our bit is. Like, to be honest, like the idea of, you know, having a keep cup and only having vegetables and, you know, I'm a vegetarian who has a keep cup, so I'm just hacking on myself at the moment. Yeah. But the idea that me having only vegetables and having a keep cup uh, to save the world is probably don't, probably don't even want to get into that one. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but it, it, it's, it's a reaction. They're having vegetables in a keep cup at the moment is a reaction to the, to the story and the fear that the world is going to end. Yeah. And if that choice is coming out of this scarcity paradigm that the, the world is coming to an end and I need to use my like, keep cup because we don't have enough and I need to eat vegetables because we can't sustain stuff, like it, it doesn't solve the problem. The, 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 no. the, the, the root cause keeps to propagate and every mm. time you use a keep cup and eat your vegetables you may very well be reminding yourself that the world is in a dire state and there's yeah. not enough around in which case your vegetables are almost certainly not even good for your health because at that time no. you're just eating a like a plate full of fear might as well have a big mac and a takeaway coffee and just be oblivious to it right yeah. like and like in in some sense that ignorance is bliss statement is in some ways like really true because like we're like in that in that ignorance someone can actually maybe just focus their energy on something that uh uh, is aligned within themselves is their own personal truth not taking on the world's problems and attempting to save the world which you know i have a problem with always wanting to save the world and it's just like well i gotta let go of that one because it's it's a bad paradigm to be in yeah um (laughs) Because you're constantly projecting that the world is in trouble, and I have to do something because the world is in trouble. Indeed. Like the world's going to die. Object fetish. Oh goodness! And like then you're you're in trouble. You're mm. in trouble if you're attempting to save the world. Like you're you're done for. Like if you're wanting to save the world. Um, 
Well, yeah. So, so a small amount of ignorance is bliss, and just in a and a desire to like maybe not maybe desire might not be the right word, but a like a seeking of an ecstatic energy in oneself, and mm. like wanting to cultivate that, uh, and being quite responsible for oneself, and again not attempting to overstep one's boundaries to world saving, um, can uh, can possibly also be another thing. So yeah. Mm. I think that's been a valuable ad. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put that cool. on there. Yeah, yeah.